Oh my God, welcome back to On Track. You are tuning in to the finale episode of season two with yours truly, John Ali. Yes, I want to thank everyone who has been writing with me all season long. Any amount of streaming and sharing has honestly meant the world, so thank you so much. We are wrapping up season two with none other than Bright Light, Bright Light, a truly legendary singer, songwriter, DJ, producer, and the queer music scene. We get into a little bit of his upbringing, his journey into music from the very beginning to the present time, the making of his new album, Fun City, and so much more. One last time for 2020. Let's get on track. I don't want to be free, so I've got all night, all day for your tears, for your pain. You won't believe it, but I used to be cool. I've got all day, all night for your passion, for your fire. No way to leave it. Oh, what would I do without you? Hello, everybody. This is John Ali. We are back on track. And today we are speaking with singer, songwriter, producer, DJ, Rod Thomas, a.k.a. Bright Light, Bright Light. Hello. <laughs> How are you? Good. Um, good question, Mark. I kind of feel like these days it's a very rhetorical question. Yes, you know, it's a loaded question. It's a very loaded question. Um, I, I love that um, gif from uh, Broad City where she's like, how am I? Yeah, how am I? Um, I felt like since March, that's kind of been my default response, but I'm fine. It's nice to get out the house. So thank you for giving me a reason to. Uh, yes, yes. It, to be it's somewhere. a rainy day in New York City, which is, hasn't, we haven't had one of those in a while, mm. but we made it through the rain like Mariah. And we did, we're, just we're like here. Mariah. <laughs> you are actually going to be uh, my season finale for, oh. the, for this season, for wow. On Track. Um, I wanted to go out with a bang <laughs> to have you, pro, you Mr. Prolific himself. But mm. this is actually uh, not our first time meeting. We've met through, I believe, our mutual friend David. Yes. 17 I, days yes. on Instagram. <laughs> David is one of my favorite people yes. in the whole world. Uh-huh. It, and like one of the worst things about this whole like lockdown is like not being able to see people like that who I'm yeah. used to seeing, you know, like a couple of times a year whenever I travel mm-hmm. to LA and back or he's here for work. Um, so I do miss him. Hello, David. If you Yeah, listening. shout out to David. I believe it was him. And then I think I also have met you through my friend Bradley. Yes. So it's been a couple of like random quick run-ins with each other. Brief hellos. And yeah. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's a very small world the music world especially then when you bring it down to like the queer music world Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's everybody seems to know everybody because the paths do cross exactly quite often but it's nice to see you again in 2020 this very beautiful crazy year Mm -hmm. (laughs) we in the last what it's been where we are month seven eight into coming up to eight i think like it was march right so that's like seven yeah, seven months, seven and a half yeah. months. My concept of time right now is like wild. I know. I feel like time is moving fast, but also not moving at all. Yes, I feel exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. It's like trying to remember what it was like before all of this. It's just so normal now to kind of have the stasis, mm-hmm. especially like I'm used to traveling at least one to two thirds of the year. hundred percent. And I really don't know where I am or who I am at the moment. It's really strange. Yeah. And especially, I mean, you release an album in the middle of a, a pandemic. Yeah, that was smart. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> hey, we, it was much, it's much needed relief, which I want to touch on 
in a little bit, but yeah, it, during this pandemic, mm-hmm. the beginning of it all, I'm sure you had the album and all this stuff planned for the rest of the year. Yep. Like, did it weigh heavy on you? Like, what what were the feelings kind of going through? Yeah, it was really tough, actually, because so like the album is about the queer community. And I'd been planning for like a year, a year and a half with my booking agents to be able to do community outreach with the album. That's why mm. it's all that focus. So it was working with like local drag queens, local queer DJs, local queer charities and organizations in the different towns that we'd had booked for a big tour in the UK and the US and do like local amplification of voices and organizations that people wouldn't have heard of otherwise. I do love doing shows, but the most disappointing thing about them all being canceled was not being able to do that because I've done it small scale in the past, like trying to do independent artist outreach for different shows and do someone from each town, but to give it a queer focus was really important to me. And so you're not able to do that online Yeah, is, the, is the, the problem. So who knows when I'll be able to do that next. And then if it's over a year since the album's come out, like you've kind of lost the ability to focus it on that one record. Yeah. So that was the real struggle this year with like my brain, you yeah. know, like the, the, the sadness of that. But, you know... That everybody had a million things that they were supposed to be doing this year, and they I know are not. <laughs> yeah, it's every I, yeah, everyone could relate to the sense that like we've had to be okay with letting go of so many things, mm-hmm. and yeah, especially not to quote Mariah again, but the art of letting go. Yeah, the art um, of letting go. Wow, she really was ahead of her time in so many ways. She's got a <laughs> she's got a song for every occasion, you know. Uh, but despite you know the maybe the uh, some unfortunate stuff. Has there any, any like good to come out of it? I mean, I have to say, yes, there has to be something positive. Yeah. In a way, there have been more conversations, I think, between people that wouldn't have taken the time to Mm. this year, not just with me, but like I've seen, you know, some people that have had more time on their hands, have had more time to do something meaningful. And I think people have understood what other people have to deal with financially or socially yeah. to an extent. And I do think some people have been a little bit more mindful. Obviously not everybody. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, there's been there's been that. And it has built a sense of community with like certain sections of, of people that I, I know. I agree. There's definitely been some sort of awakening. And I think a lot of people's spirits and like empathy and all that mm-hmm. stuff. For sure, which it is a good thing. There's been goods and bads to come out of all this. And I mean, we still don't know what the next few months are going to look like. So it's hard to like think too much of the future. Yeah. All that. It's yeah. But ultimately, we have our health. We are good. We are living. We were waking up every day. Yeah. We can't complain. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, there's. it could still be a lot worse. And that's the important thing that I try and make myself remember every day is like it could be much, much, much worse Mm -hmm. in the next year or two to come. Who knows what will happen for most of us with like income, you know, career trajectory, that kind of thing. But for now, at least, you know, uh, I have persisted (laughs) this far. (laughs) And Uh, you live in New York, which that wasn't always the case. You grew up in South Wales, I believe. Yes, I did. Uh, And how was life growing up in South Wales? It was very sleepy. I don't know if you've ever seen Twin Peaks, but where I'm from is like the kind of Welsh equivalent of Twin Peaks, like old coal mining valley. Oh. uh, Very remote. Remote to a point. It's not that far time-wise from a town, Mm -hmm. but, you know, mindset-wise, it really is. It's like one of those forgotten old, like, 
the equivalent is like a rust belt okay thing i, I guess <laughs> faded industry you know nothing goes on there very pretty but very sleepy mm. very different from new york yes i can imagine <laughs> And you had you were living with mom and dad, yep. like brother. You have you have brothers. Nope. And si- it's just nope. you. Yeah. See, I didn't know that. Yeah. Mom and dad, like, are they still kicking it in South Wales? They are still in the same house. Oh, really? Yeah, which is wild. That is kind of amazing. Yeah, Welsh people don't tend to move around that much. <laughs> you know, other than like Shirley Bassey or Christian Bale or Catherine Zeta Jones, who's yeah. just so fabulous <laughs> or Rod Thomas or me. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um. Yeah, they're still there. It was. It was a really lovely upbringing in many ways because it was so picturesque and I had space and time to like play around with music stuff. It was not remotely tolerant to homosexuality or diversity because most places aren't. Yeah. But, you know, I had it pretty good most aspects of of things. I mean, mom and dad, did they have an awareness of maybe you being a young queer child? No. Yeah. No. That side of it didn't fly so well. They have more than atoned for any of that now. And they are really, they're really amazing people. I think you just know that like, however great a person you are and however open-minded you are, when it comes to your own child, people's reactions are not what they expect. Mm. You know, nothing really prepares you for like having to change your idea of a future that you've kind of built up in your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they just, they were unprepared to to have something that they weren't, expecting yeah but they've since you know been very diligent in learning about queer culture and very prepared to put in the work and and they've definitely like made up for that so that's good yeah. to hear i mean i i could relate to that story in a lot of ways because in the same sense i think my mom had this idea built up in her head and she, almost like a blindness that mm-hmm. like my son's just this one way the one way i know him and that's it Mm-hmm. So when I came out, it was also very much a shock to her brain. Mm-hmm. So I could relate to that story very much. But growing up, did you have those spaces maybe outside of home to kind of like explore that side of yourself? That- Not until I was like 15, I think. When I was 15, I went to this like summer school for like theater. It was really fun. And I met this woman called Heather who changed my life. Uh-huh. Like she was just, none of us were out, but... Over the two years that we were, you know, formative friends, she came out and so did multiple other friends in our group. And then I had the kind of courage to because of her. And like, she was the catalyst for all of us, I think, to really work out who we were. Uh She changed all of our lives in a really amazing way. So I had that. And thank God I had those people because without them, I honestly have no idea what I would have done with myself. What? Do you still stay in touch with any of them? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're still really good friends. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, she lives in London now. She's just had a baby. She's amazing. Oh, for grown-up things. <laughs> yeah. But that's amazing. I mean, I find that on a lot of the people that I've talked to is there's only one, it's like one way or the other, where like they did have that safety net at home or the, and they didn't necessarily have it outside or mm. they didn't have the safety net at home and it was very much everything outside of it was where they were kind of okay to like be who, who they were yeah i think like not having the safety net of home does make you more active in like trying to find your community mm. yeah you know because you you don't feel safe in your house to an extent because you're not uh supported there for yeah. what you are so you have to find yeah. a home outside of that whereas you know if you have a safe home that is nurturing of your identity and outside is a hostile environment why would you yeah yeah 
put yourself at risk. So like having to put yourself at risk does mean that you have that like outreach to begin with, which yeah. I'm very grateful for. Actually. Yeah. How long were you in home? Did you stay home then? Uh, I left when I was seven, 18 to go to college. Okay. You call it college, university for us. Uh, and then I, I've never moved back. Wow. Yeah. And wh- where was the university for you? It was in the Midlands in the UK, kind of near Birmingham-ish. And then I went from there to London, lived in London for nine years, and I've lived here for seven and a half years now. Wow. And London, when you were there, that's when you started to explore, I want to say, the, the music side much more. Yes. Yeah, it was, yeah. Was that kind of like a natural progression for you, or was that was something you were always working towards? Um, it was something that I was always working on, but it was never thinking I could do it as a career. Yeah. Like where I'm from, people are teachers, you know, lawyers, work in an office, work in a shop. Uh, my grandparents are farmers. So like there's a, a recognizable job. Yeah. So to mince around and be a musician was like not on the table. And I actually moved to London to do music PR. I wanted to oh. write p- press releases for bands. So I started working at a record label doing that, like, well, interning. And then I was like uh, the receptionist and then a PA and like a marketing assistant. And I couldn't do anything creative. Mm-hmm. So as any sensible person does, I quit my job <laughs> and uh, started singing on the underground, um, just like busking three or four times a week and found that I could pay my rent doing that and some bar work and did that for like two and a half years, but then used the like the skills that I'd learned from working at the record label to set up my own record label ah. and then started putting out songs. So it was she like... You took that knowledge and was like, let me make something out of it. Girl, she learned. Um, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was never like a conscious step to sort of, this is what I'm going to do now. I just ran a course with a job, had no idea what to do with it and then thought, well, I better do something. Mm-hmm. And I, I was applying for the jobs and just couldn't get them, mm-hmm. you know, so I just started trying to make ends meet doing that and... Played like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of shows every year in like, you know, reputable and unreputable places. Yeah. And then eventually got some radio play and eventually ended up where I am. That's wild. Mm, It's pretty wild. It is wild. When you look back at it, like, do you give yourself like a really good pat on the back for kind of really just going for it like that? I think I just think, well, thank Christ. (laughs) Like there were multiple times in the whole trajectory where it could have gone very 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 wrong and you know there were a couple of moments that saved my life like one of the songs that I released got a significant amount of radio play and it was around it was on a ukulele it's way before I do what I do now and it sounded <laughs> I was gonna say ukulele I know it's, <laughs> it sounded like all of those songs that were on commercials and this company got in touch and wanted to buy it off me to use on commercials uh-huh. <clears throat> I said no um so they were like can you make something that sounds like that for Mm. us? So I said, yes. And I spent one hour writing and recording this little instrumental and sold it to them. And it was the most used piece of music they had in the history of their company. Wow. And it paid for me to live for like two years. What? Yeah. That's wild. It's really wild. It's re- it's still on commercials like now. Really? This is like 10, 10, 11 years later. What, what, what does it go? How it's, does it go? It's awful. It's like a little <laughs> literal piece of shit. <laughs> but for some reason, adverts use it. Like I was in Chicago a few years ago playing at um, Market Days. And I woke up one day a bit late and went to get tacos for lunch. And in the taco shop, it was on like a Mexican Dustbuster commercial. No I'm like, way. This is wild. Uh- <laughs> 
I'm sure that's a very like surreal it thing to experience. Very surreal. Yeah, it's just like little instrumental that does nothing, and apparently, yeah. So you're like, I'm not gonna do that when I start music. <laughs> uh-huh. It's fine, you know. I I get really annoyed with people's snobbery about artists doing stuff like that because you're using your skills, and mm-hmm. yes, it's not the most reputable thing to do, and it's not the most rewarding thing to do. Mm-hmm. But if you can use your skills to support yourself, yeah. I don't think anyone really has the right to like look down on you for doing that. Like it's no less moral than working in McDonald's who yeah. would donate money to yeah. Christ knows who or you, have you to know survive. You have to survive. And I think like you have to just like free your mind of that stigma of selling out. It's not selling out. Like you sell out anytime you get a job or any if you sign a record deal, you've sold out mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you've signed away your rights to something and you've taken mm-hmm. money for it. Like it's all the same thing. So as long as you're not putting money on like a Trump campaign or like, you know, murdering animals or whatever. Yeah. Then I think there's there has to be some kind of leeway for that. Yeah. And I ha- I'm glad I did it because <laughs> I wouldn't be here otherwise. Yeah, like you said, it, I really helped, wouldn't. it helped you get to what you wanted to do, which was your, because I believe you had two singles before you had released your album. Yes. Did that come shortly after that situation? Yeah, they were, they were shortly after that. I went to work in LA on two songs with a guy called Boom Bip, who's in like Neon Neon. He's on like Lex Records, like a super trendy guy, really mm-hmm. lovely guy. Um, And I was desperately uncool um, at that <laughs> point. So I couldn't believe that he wanted to work with me. And I wanted to do electronic stuff, but I didn't have the money or the equipment or the knowledge of how to produce dance music. Um, and so he, I worked with him and I saw him producing and it was really useful and inspiring to see how he worked. Mm-hmm. And then I started learning how to do it myself. And he really gave me that like rocket fuel boost to be like, you can do that and it actually suits your voice and it works. Yeah. And then went to work with a guy called Andy um, Chatterley, who I'd worked with before to write Love Part 2, which was the first thing. Yeah. You can take these hours and do as you see fit with all my days And I'll take your hand and say, do what you want with me And let everybody see that I'm in love again I'm in love again Then you That launched like what we know you now mm-hmm. as you knew that you wanted to make electronic music, mm-hmm. but how do you get that like way of thinking of the music you want it to sound like? And also then also being able to convey that in an actual record and then continue to do that. Yeah. Just hard work. I think like it, it the sounds had always been in my brain, but I needed those other people to show me how to make it. Mm-hmm. And it was through people like Boom Bep and him uh, my friend John Shave, that was part of this group called The Invisible Men, worked with him quite a bit on songs and just learned from them, you know, painstakingly yeah. learning how to use uh, Ableton, which is what I produce on, and make synth noises yeah. and, and do that. And like the songs were kind of there. That I just had to like remodel them in the mm-hmm. electronic fashion. Wow. Yeah. But that's amazing. I think that it's it's nice to hear that you took the time to really mm. teach yourself how to do it. Because I think nowadays that's definitely like, so, it's so normal. But I think... So it, normal, yeah. It's so normal. But I feel like a few years ago, like it would people were, I feel like would be a little bit more hesitant to doing that. 
Yeah, I think, you know, if you're in the system or in the music industry where you maybe are signed before you have a sound and then you work with producers, you're sort of like accustomed to their production techniques and them mm-hmm, making mm-hmm. the sounds happen when you describe them. But if you've had to do it from scratch, then I am thankful for that period where I, I had to work it out for myself because it did teach me a lot of new skills. And yeah. You, you hear a lot of people now in quarantine saying they developed so many new skills because mm-hmm, they've had to mm-hmm. work alone or they've had to do whatever. Like even Kylie is talking about learning. Which lo- is amazing. Logic or whatever, you know, it's wild. Um, <laughs> So I'm glad that I did that like 11 years ago and not yeah. this year. I think I would have lost my mind. Yeah, no, no, no. I can't even, yeah, no. You were also ahead of your time. <laughs> Let's go with that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go with that. But I, my first introduction to you was right when, I want to say right before your debut album came out. Mm-hmm. Um, it was with Feel It. That was the first right. song I ever heard of yours. And I believe Bradley put me on to you okay. and he just sent me that song. And I was already like immediately hooked on it because it just had this nostalgicness to it, but also sounded very new and fresh. And yeah, I was just excited to hear more from you. And then the album came out shortly after. Mm-hmm. So give me something to dream about and be the reason the lights go I still remember like it was yesterday when I first heard that song. It's wild. <laughs> it's really wild. What a what a ride. What was like, did you always knew that you were going to make a record, a record then? Like you had a very clear idea of how you wanted it to sound. I had no idea. You know, the first album was just like trial and error. And yeah. it was like writing with anyone that I could who was interested and showing them the kind of stuff I was interested in. And working to make something coherent but it really was like a guessing game Mm. which is kind of exciting and scary until you get the reaction to it because it was like what if nobody cares you know it was around the same time where like larue was putting out her record the first one and it was just post ellie goulding's first album Mm. and marina and the diamonds and sound of arrows who i was friends with at the time it was kind of weird because I like sequentially watched all of my friends get signed for like vast amounts of money. Yeah. And I had to make the album in my bank account. Wow. So one of my friends signed for like $500,000 pounds and I had literally like 5000 which was also to pay my rent. Wow. So it was quite scary trying to make that album in like in, in tandem with that. Mm-hmm. Also knowing that it was like the first one and not really knowing where it was going to end up. Yeah. So it was like a very... Uh, well, you went into it blindly. Yeah, I went into it very, very blindly. Um, maybe like one monocle. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, it was wild. It was a really strange experience, like super fun, but just like crazy. And I'm glad that, you know, I, I really love that record and I'm glad that how it came out. But it was just such a tense time when you're like, you don't know if you've done the right thing. Yeah. You know? Well, kind it's your first It's your first real project. You're putting yeah. out yourself out there as like, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. I, this is me. Okay, world, what do you think? (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's scary. It's very scary. Yeah, people are really, you know, nasty (laughs) online. Yes, they are. And they have not stopped. (laughs) Yeah, they have not. But 
I don't know. I think that album holds up. Like I was listening, I've been listening to all your records this whole this whole week in, pre- in preparation for this, and I feel like it still holds up. It still sounds like it it, it could still exist in 2020 and be Good. like very like yeah. Good. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm really proud of it, and I'm I really love the people that I worked with on it, and I still work with John like all the time. He wrote one of the songs on the new album with me. I'm still friends with everybody that I made the record with, which mm-hmm. is really nice. I don't know if a lot of artists have that. So I think like doing it independently and doing it so like hand to mouth financially, it meant that I was working with people I had a real connection with. Yeah. And we're all still friends. Like I'm still friends with every artist that is featured on a track, every co-writer, every remixer, every mix engineer, whatever. And like, that's a really nice mm-hmm. thing to have found from making the records. Yeah. Really you like build that. these relationships and, and if you can make beautiful art with it, then mm. you're, wi- you're winning. Yeah. Since then you've released this is look now you're on your fourth album yes and you've gone on tours around the world Mm -hmm. and yeah you've made all these relationships i mean you just like you said there's on this album there's people that you've worked with in the past before Mm -hmm. that are featured on it also like you said producing like when was the consumption of like this idea for this album like when did that start so i started writing it i moved to manhattan in 2017 And in the first week that I moved into that apartment, I wrote the first three songs on the record. Oh, wow. Um, But I wasn't sure where the album was going. And I was writing stuff and, you know, playing around with ideas. And as I kind of went along, it was like, obviously, like, very gay sounding because, you know, (laughs) it's come from me. Um, (laughs) You're gay? (laughs) Wow, shock. But then uh, randomly, I got the call to go on tour with Cher. Mm. Um, which was so like, casually wild. just throwing that out there. Yeah. I just went on tour with Cher. I, this time <laughs> last year, I was in uh, Denmark, I think, opening for Cher, which is even wilder, like, you know, within a year. And that feels so long ago. But we were on stage in Cologne and it was me uh, wearing like a sequined suit jacket and like a holographic top and, you know, <laughs> being just being wild. And my two dancers wearing like sequin shirts. And between two of the songs, I got a bit tongue-tied and I just said like, oh, well, as you can see, I'm, we're very gay. <laughs> and the whole arena, like 16,000 people just like cheered and it was amazing. Oh, it was just like a glib comment, you know, to yeah, yeah. fill time. And we had so many DMs. I say we, it's me, I, you know, we, but like we were on stage. Yeah. Had so many DMs that night on like Twitter and Instagram of people saying like, it's amazing you said that because in this country, people don't say things like that on stage Mm. as much in public. And the representation was amazing. So then I thought, well, there we go. Like that's the purpose of my album is for representation, for like visibility, for inclusiveness. And that's when I started writing the songs more about queer history, getting as many diverse people as I possibly could. Yeah on the record, like trans people, female identifying, male identifying people from here and abroad, legacy artists, newer artists, and trying to make some kind of tapestry, which spoke to the different people that don't really get a voice on like, you know, a major label album or a a cis white males album. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't want the album to be about me. I wanted it to be about different sides of our community because I'm bored of listening to a a cis white male all the time. So like, God knows what everybody else feels like. And so that was the point really where I realized what I wanted to do with the record. Yeah. And then everything else kind of like neatly tied up together after that. 
That's amazing. And I mean, you there's a feature on every single one of the tracks except for one. Except for one, yeah. Except for one. Were these songs already done when you maybe reached out to some of these artists? or They were, yeah. All of them were done? Yeah, they were. They were all done. They were all written and produced. And I sent them to the different people Got it. to see if they kind of worked for them mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. gave a couple of people like a, a few options. Okay. But yeah, they were all kind of done before before they came on board. And... I mean, you know what these people sound like. I mean, there's Jake Shears, there's a Cave Boy from Toronto, mm-hmm. there's a Sam Sparrow, mm-hmm. there's Brandon, um, Brandon from Australia, yeah. yeah, from Australia. Like it's it's like all it's like a global event. Yeah, this album with all these features that you have on it. I can't even name them all because it's so many to, to try to remember. But how did like how did you, it's like oh like you finish a song you done and you're like all right, this is going to be for this person. This is going to mm-hmm. be for this person. Like, how did, was that easy? No, it was really difficult because there were some voices that I thought could fit easily on like three or four tracks. Yeah. And there, there was a point where I was like, oh my God, do I have too many people and not enough songs? <laughs> and there, there is actually a recorded 13 song with a duet that didn't make that because oh. I had to be super harsh about like which songs fit in like making it a flowing album. So I'm going to use that as the first track for the next Ooh. record. I didn't just want to put someone's voice on the tracks. I wanted them to bring themselves to the songs. So, you know, one of my favorites is Justin Vivian Bond singing on Saying Goodbye is Exhausting. Um, they came over to record and I'd sent them the song in advance, which they really liked. And I didn't mention what it was about or what the production reference was. And uh, after singing it, they were like, oh, I've done my best like Jean Moreau because it reminds me of Carell. And I was like, it's actually produced to sound like Carell ah. because, and I pl- unmuted it. I'm like, I have a quote from it to close the song, which I, c- I couldn't clear the quote uh-huh. um, for the use for the actual release. But it was amazing that they picked up on my reference yeah, and loved that and brought it in. And then we talked about it. We were like, oh my God, that's like one of my favorite films. Oh my God, me too. Oh my God. Remember <laughs> that scene? Made me deal. I'd never feel like I had to worry about you. Wherever you are, you keep your heart safe from harm. But we've been here before, you know I adore you. But you thought that you could put out fires with a look. And the world around brought you down. Took your hands off the wheel and life overtook. Over the hill, there's a place where none of this happened And over the bridge, you're still there, looking up at the sky Over the sea, there's a place you could have been happy But all too soon, I feel the pain of your loss Saying goodbye is exhausting If I feel that it's not real I hope you can forgive me For starting to write to you Time to time before stopping myself It was really cool. So I feel like I, I loved what each guest person brought to the song. And I really only confirmed somebody being on a song if it spoke to them and if they yeah. wanted to do something with it i didn't push anybody so it felt like it was an organic addition mm-hmm. you know and I, I think like they all kind of brought something oh totally wild. it doesn't even feel like that's why i asked because it feels like when you listen to it that 
everyone's there mm-hmm. and where they're supposed to be. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like anyone's out of place. It feels very effortless. Everyone's voices work well with yours. So was there any specific song that maybe when someone sent you their vocal, their take on it, where you were like, wow, I can't believe this is like it's happening? I did most of them in person. Um, the only one the only one that I didn't do in person, well, Mark Gatiss for his spoken word bit, um, that he sent me that from his iPhone and I, that was amazing. And then the illustrious Black sent me their vocals. That was great. Uh, when I was in the studio with Nikki and Donna mm. and when Nikki did like the big ad lips, it was just like, oh shit. Like in the room, listening to her sing was <laughs> just amazing. <laughs> it was so amazing to be there with them both together, feeling like, well, I guess I'm Madonna then. You well, know? Yeah, we're, we're referring to This Was My House, the two backup singers from Madonna's, uh, what tour was it? Most of them. Most of them, yeah. Blonde Ambition, Girly Show, uh, Drowned World. Uh, I think Nikki was, uh, Donna, sorry, was also on the one after that. Like yeah. they were there, they were in, you know, what do you call it? In Bed With The Madonna. Um, Truth or Dare. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, wild. That is insane. I actually watched a few of the tours in quarantine. They're so good. There's, I They're mean, so good. They still hold up. Like it's, it's like, yeah, I, I, very, I, I sometimes compare uh, all the artists that we have now to her, and I'm like, I shouldn't do that because no. no one will ever touch her. <laughs> no one will ever touch her. Uh, but no, that is amazing, and I think that was the first song you put out, right? Yeah. Yeah, This Was My House was the first song you put out. And I love what you did with the singles as well, is that you no single release just was like, here's the song. It's like, here's the song, but there's also three different versions of yeah. it. <laughs> well, I did actually, actually Sensation only had that one version. We were going to put out something else first and it just didn't fit. So I had to like swap them over and I didn't have the remixes ready for Sensation. Mm. And I do have a few, but like there's not really been the time since to to do something with it. So I'm going to try and work out something yeah fun but you know it was also the time where like lockdown had just hit so we couldn't make a video for that song mm. and it felt so difficult to know what to do with it yeah so maybe it'll have its own life when when we can really see people in real life again and like make art yeah without six feet between people and- <laughs> i know <laughs> but i i, I love that because i i think what i love about this album is that it's in a time where so many people are making this kind of music, like very like dance heavy, club heavy, disco heavy, like all these influences from the past and trying to give you like a nice newer touch to it. But that's something you've always done. Mm. Like you came out the gate like that. Yeah. So (laughs) (laughs) it's very much your pocket, your wheelhouse. Do you find it interesting how that is kind of like having a moment again? Yeah. It's interesting to see people referencing things that I've been like banging on about for quite some time. Yeah. Um, as if it's a new discovery, but it it is, it's a shame. I think for a lot of these artists, like the Jesse wears the Dua Lipas, whatever, who've made like really great dance floor records that cannot have a dance floor at the moment. Ugh. I do feel for them, especially Jesse Ware. actually, I think 
her debut video for the album Spotlight is gorgeous. Beautiful. And it's her best song, I think. And I really do think that the rest of the album deserved better visuals to represent the songs. Like, I like what she did with the different performers and spotlight spotlit mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't really use the songs that, in like a 3D way that you would yeah, have been able to do. you could tell just based off the spotlight video that she had, you could tell that there was so much more. There was a narrative, you know. There, there was, was so much more planned. The, the mood boards must have been like oh, yeah. the size of that wall. And it was re- really cool. And I do feel for her to not have been able to take like a purposefully written dance album to a dance floor. Yeah. And I mean, you could relate to that because you've been put in the same situation. Yeah. Releasing yeah. like of a beautiful record with all these amazing artists that you can't make videos with and all that. So, I mean, yeah, you could relate. Same for like Roisin Murphy, you know, like she's made her most accessible album in like 10 years and there's no dance for, I mean, actually I think places in London are mildly open. So problematic as that may be, (laughs) it has been in some gay bars, you know, but yeah, it's, it's strange to have had that like lack of public life for albums that were clearly designed. Yeah. To be communally enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Well, we could still, I feel like part of the music too, it's been nice to have this, these songs and these albums that are so dance heavy. When everything feels so heavy, we need that escape. We need that relief. And I think yeah. music, dance music specifically, really does that for at least me. And I mean, I, I feel like for a lot of people. Yeah. I feel like a lot of this year, I've been very low energy. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of friends have as well as the months have gone on and they're still working from home. Lots of friends, you know, I didn't see a friend for like two and a half months. I didn't see Mm -hmm. one of my close friends for two Mm -hmm. and a half months. So having energetic music was at least something to stop my body from like shutting down completely. And that was very needed. So I think without the normal rhythm of life, like something to give you a bit of a bounce is is really useful. Yes. And do you see people gravitating towards this record as you hope? They would have. Yeah, more so, I think. Yeah. More so than than last time. And it's been really nice to have messages from, like, young queer kids. Mm. Like, traditionally, my audience has been, like, you know, 30 plus because mm-hmm. of the references that I have a lot of the time. But, like, young queer kids who've, like, heard It's All Right, It's Okay about, like, gender identity. And they've been like, I'm really glad I have a song like this that I can use and also, like, talk to my parents about. And yeah. It's just having done little things like that which have meant something to me and to somebody else feels amazing, you know, and just to have reached real people with something real feels really good. Yeah. Cause you, that was your purpose from the very exactly, beginning. Yeah. So the fact that it actually resonated and people actually are getting what you wanted to be put out yes. there that, that you did your job. Yeah. So, you know, like the last album about my favorite dance scenes in cinema not a lot of people got those references. It was very niche. Um, but at least this one seems to be a little bit more, um, you know, immediately obvious to people what it's about. And then the title, I mean, we haven't even mentioned it, Fun City. What, what was the reasoning for calling it Fun City? It is a quote from Mayor John V. Lindsay in the late 60s, who took over as the mayor of New York. And on his first day as the mayor, the city shut down. It was like a subway strike. The power went out. Like everything fell to shit, basically. And one of his snarky competitors was like, oh, are you still pleased to be the mayor? And he's like, I still think it's a fun city. <laughs> and I thought like that, you know, rub off kind of line or that palm off line kind of rings true now where for queer people, you have to really move to a city or a town if you grow up rurally because there's not 
safety or opportunities there or people like you. Mm-hmm. So you move to these cities and the idea of this like city that like holds so much promise but is falling apart and has the danger element is like what we do every day. Like you move to a city where there's queer people around you, but you're still like faced with this wall of like prejudice, oppression, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. capitalism, uh, lack of funding for the arts, people trying to roll back LGBTQ plus rights. But where else could you possibly be? So you have to find this way to survive in the city, which is like making your own joy, making your own fun, yeah. making your own community. And, you know, I still love being in New York. Do I walk past Trump Tower for a laugh? No. <laughs> Do I hang out in like a shitty bar in Brooklyn? Yes. And you, the city is what you make of it. Mm-hmm. And his like throwaway comment, which was obviously designed to like pass the buck and be yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm so fine. Is what we all feel, I think, where like we know that New York is deeply flawed in many, many ways when we see bars and restaurants disappearing and something be- something else becomes a chase bank. Yeah. But we still have our friends and chosen family and we can still make the most of it if we want to. That's what the... And that's the, what the record is. That's what the title and that's what you've is, made, yeah. yeah, you created bringing all these people together and making do with what we as people always have to do, which is survive and, yeah. and and learn and all that. And it's also like party city leaning. And I am a budget queen. So, <laughs> you know, I'm happy to own that. <laughs> I love it. But it's, it's, all, it's all been very colorful too, which I think, I, I think that's why I love it so much. I've ever since it's been released, it's like a very album to just put on and you're like, you're vibing, you're along for the ride all the way through. You go through like waves of emotions mm-hmm. and you feel like this like nice little hug with your voice tying everything together. It's, yeah, it's cool. great. Yeah. Everyone needs a pop of color, you know? Yeah. You, uh, well, I love that. And I can't wait. I think eventually, maybe right now you can't tour or make videos with these collaborators of yours, but I think there's still room to like play for sure. The album and the songs on it still have like legs and stuff. So yeah, just I, about, I, I guess, hope so. Yeah. I hope that we can have conversations about stuff on the record, you know, this time next year and that I can do something with these people because a lot of them did give, you know, like their energy and time and I'd love to be able to do something with it. And the live show is such a big part of any mm-hmm. artist's life. It's really weird not to have any like inkling of that on the horizon, you know. I've seen that there are more venues like opening up at like 20% capacity, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but there's no way to do the show that you've intended and break even. Yeah. So it would have to be literally like me on a stage performing. And that's really not the point of the album. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not about me. And I don't think representing it like that is worthwhile. So I think it'll be a little while before I get to do something with it. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows in this wild year what is going <laughs> to creep around the corner next? I mean, fucking like murder hornets, like, <laughs> you know, rises in God knows I, Honestly, it's been amazing. Just the amount of things have just popped up and you're like, when will this year let up? <laughs> Never. She's Never. resilient. I saw one meme or something the other day where it was like 12, 31, 20, and then it rolls over. And it's like 13, 1, 20. And I'm like... <laughs> amazing it's but it does feel like this year is uh or this sick predicament at the very least is never ending well, yeah and you'll, and you'll always get to look back at 2020 and be like well wow. I, released, I released that album that year i did yeah. all 
crazy, isn't that? Absolutely crazy. <laughs> well, I've I've just been very grateful that we you've given us this record, and I I hundred percent believe that um it still has legs, and people are still gonna be able to sit with it and live with it for some time. Um, but before I let you go, we like to do this little segment that I call a moment most pleasing to me in my okay. career, <laughs> which ah. is inspired by the famous Whitney Houston quote where they, she talks about the bodyguard era of her life, and mm-hmm. she goes, But wow, what a moment I will never forget. A moment that is most pleasing to me in my career. <laughs> <laughs> I really love watching old clips of her where she's so, like, oh, it's, she's just, like, delicious to watch. Oh, she? yes. The delivery is amazing. It's, like, very Eartha Kitt. It's, like... Cattiness and like prowl, I love it. And she's completely is that unaware of it. it's like no, offensive it's or not anything. Predestined. It's just like that's who she is. Yeah, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I've I've really gravitated towards that specific interview this last uh, few months because before all of this, I was very much like nonstop, nonstop, go, go, go. What am I doing next? What am I doing next? That it kind of like forced me to like remember all the things I've already done mm-hmm. and reflect on that and kind of just be like oh, look how much I've done. Look at all these accomplishments. Look at all this success that I've already had in my life that I've worked for and earned. And it's okay to like look at that and be like proud of it. So that quote kind of inspired this thing. Mm -hmm. So what is a moment most pleasing to you in your career? Mm -hmm. (laughs) A moment most pleasing to me in my career is for the last album, I got to debut the single, the lead single on The Graham Norton Show Mm. on British television, which, you know, is a big deal for me because I'm an independent artist. There's not like penny behind it really, but I was and I still am the only independent artist ever to perform on that show. Oh wow! Um, with Elton John as my guest yeah. singer, which was kind of wild. <laughs> and then they told you who you were going to be on the couch with on the day, and I was on a couch with Ryan Gosling, Russell Crowe, Jodie Foster, Elton John, and Tom Daly and Greg. Greg Davis, who's like a British uh, comedian. Uh-huh. And I was just like, what the fuck am I doing <laughs> on this couch? And I like rocked up. Everyone's wearing like expensive, like dark colored suits. And I'm wearing like a mint green ensemble <laughs> that I look, I look just like, I look bonkers. <laughs> and I'm just sat there on this couch being like, what is happening? And it is so pleasing to me that that happened. Um, it's, it was a moment in time that I never thought I'd get to do. And it was exceedingly pleasing to me. That's history. And then you get to go home <laughs> to your like shitty apartment <laughs> and be like, that was nice. <laughs> that is, that is the life of a pop star, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that was very pleasing. I mean, that's incredible. I, I, I didn't know that actually that you were the only independent artist to ever have done that. Yeah. The first and the still only. Which is funny because in that same quote that Whitney Houston says, um, wow, that is most piece to my career. She also says right before, ah, that's history. So you are literally <laughs> both things. Yeah. You are both those things. That was and still is history. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is incredible. Well, thank you for sharing that You're with welcome. me. And thank you uh, again for sitting down and talking with me. You've been a true delight. As thank always. you for having me and giving me some joy in this very bleak and uh, very wet and cold day. Hey. If, if I can bring some joy and if you can bring some joy, then we're doing our job, right? Yeah, that is very pleasing to me. <laughs> yes. 
Where can uh, everyone find you on socials and all that? All of the socials handles is at brightlightx2. Uh, so Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. What else is there? I mean, like, I don't even know. There's like a th- Pornhub. Pornhub. Like <laughs> OnlyFans. OnlyFans. Just, just for friends. Not even friends. Spotify. You know, whatever. Bright light, I'm, bright light. You name it, I'm there. Yeah. Street corners. Yes. Everyone goes Bodegas. <laughs> yeah. Usually getting like a, a bagel. What kind of bagel? Usually like an everything bagel. Ah, uh, yes. That's what I wanted to hear. That's that's what that's I That's all to. I want. I'm very inclusive. Yes. Everything bagel. That's my go-to as well. Well, everyone, this has been John Ali and Bright Light, Bright Light. Please go stream Fun City. You will be so happy if you did. And until next time, goodbye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> One day they're going to see our names in some great story. Gonna sing our praise for all our glory. Cause out here we can be anything. Can you feel it? Out here we can be anything. Can you feel it? It's alright, it's okay. Break the silence, break the chain. It's alright.